Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. And so I said, well, I think selling me pictures of your feet is actually a very empowering activity for the Girl Scouts to learn. Sex work is work. Yeah, yeah, you should be in jail. That's what they said. There he is. Grab him. Tom, get off me. So, sorry, Eli. We, we just we can't risk your before show shenanigans yeah, this week. Yeah. This week's story has Nazis, a torpedo and a dead body. And none of those are worth the risk of what you do to them. So we're just going to have Tom hold you and keep you here until the podcast starts. Tom, did you cover your arms in lard? Keeps you from biting. So this just oh, <laughs> curse my commitment to veganism. We froze your credit cards. We canceled all your guys. We replaced your cell phone with a toy one from Target. Oh, I knew Anna sounded different this morning. Damn. Okay. Well, I guess, I guess you guys got me. I guess you got me. We sure did. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, just one thing before we start the podcast. Did you guys enjoy your steak sandwiches? The ones Tom ordered? Yeah, they were fine. But I didn't order any sandwiches. Wait, then, then who did? Oh, I'm afraid I whipped up those bad boys myself. 100% pure Cecil clone. Oh, I'm going to be sick. Why, man? Why? Oh. You forgot the key to my shenanigans, gentlemen. I never Google what the episode's title means. Damn it. You monster. So is there a sandwich for me or? Is there? I had a light lunch. Is there? Welcome to Citation Needed, the podcast where we choose a subject, read a single article about it on Wikipedia, and pretend we're experts, because this is the internet, and that's how it works now. I'm no illusions, I'm going to be leading this ruse, but to pull it off, I'll need a few accomplices. First up, two experts in pulling it off, Cecil and Heath. <laughs> Caliente. Oh, you're Caliente, sir. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, Heath. Cheers. Cheers to you, Cecil. Cheers to you, And also joining us Cheers. tonight, Cheers. two guys who always Cheers. keep a hobo corpse handy just in case they need to thwart some Nazis, Eli and Tom. Yeah, it takes forever to tweet on this thing, let me tell you. <laughs> yes, to thwart the Nazis, that's why. <laughs> yes. 
Now, of course, before we started, I wanted to thank our patrons. Vulgarity for Charity is over, and it was a huge success. Uh, we, I don't know how huge a success because we're recording this in advance, but the point is that it's over, and you can start just giving your money to us again. And if yes. you'd like to learn how yeah. to join the ranks of people who give us money, be sure to stick around to the end of the show. And with that out of the way, tell us, Heath, what person, place, thing, concept, phenomenon, or event will we be talking about today? We're going to be talking about Operation Mincemeat. Of World War Two. Oh, that Operation Mincemeat. Okay, so what was Operation Mincemeat? Oh, no, no, no. I want to do the Tom thing. Ask oh, me why okay. I chose the Tom. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. So why did you choose this topic, Keith? So the other day I was ruminating on the state of humanity, <laughs> staring into the middle you distance through a window voice. pane <laughs> with raindrops <laughs> running down that window pane. It's not what I do. And I, I dwelt upon the dark, soul-crushing wasteland of hatred and ignorance that is human society. <laughs> that is what I do. Utterly bereft of any semblance now, of utterly morality bereft, as a that's whole. My... Okay. Uh, and then I watched a movie on Netflix. It's called Operation <laughs> Mincemeat. And it tells the story of how some delightful British nerds uh, found a way to trick uh, the Germans crying. into believing there was a plan for an allied invasion of Greece which acted as a smokescreen for a real invasion of Italy. It's a tale of psychological tricks and double bluffing and triple bluffing and back to zero bluffing. and well, No single bluffing. That's dumb. Obvious. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> single bluffs. Also, torpedo mummification, what? race car drivers, and a little bit of James Bond. According to military historian Michael Howard, it was... Perhaps the most successful single deception operation of the entire war. And then at the end of this, we killed a whole bunch of Nazis. So that was fun. I really like it when we kill Nazis. So that's how I, I picked the story. Okay, <laughs> listen, Heath, I appreciate your effort, but unless several people freeze to death, you are not doing the Tom thing. Also, you're <laughs> fogging up my gazing window. So it's, uh, it's, I do I, I do like how you conjured Tom as the personification of the pensive Kermit meme at the beginning, though. I, that's, yeah, that's good. I think that's about accurate. So the story of Operation Mincemeat begins in 1939 with our connection to James Bond. Sir James Godfrey, the director of naval intelligence for the UK at the time, circulated a document called the Trout Memo. In okay, that seems fishy. That oh. seems fishy. <laughs> It was. It was a list of 54 possible ways to trick the Germans and gain some kind of edge in the war. And it was called the Trout Memo because it compared the deception of your enemy during a war to the deception of trout when you're fly fishing. And the memo was almost certainly written by James Godfrey's assistant at the time, Lieutenant Commander Ian Fleming, who went on to create James Bond in his novels. And then you shall say one martini shaken, not stirred, and the ladies shall have lots of heterosexual sex with you. And you'll say, yum, 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 vagina. Or somebody's in there like going, I remember, why do 40 plus of these involve exploding ink pens? Do we have those? <laughs> Stir it though. Stir the martini. Don't shake it. That's dumb. It's really important. So, item number 28 in the trout memo was the inspiration for Operation Mincemeat. The idea was to get a dead body and make it look like a medium-level intelligence officer whose plane was shot down over the ocean and he drowned. And the deception would happen by planting documents on the body with fake intel. If the body was discovered in the right place by the right people and the documents made their way to German intelligence, they might be fooled into believing the whole thing was a lucky accident in their favor 
and they'd act on the bad information. And then when they take the plans out of his pocket, it pulls a string on a pulley and releases a cage from the top of a building. It's a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be similar to that. It's pretty fun. Uh, it appears he was killed by a boot, which tipped a bowling ball down a ramp into a stack of books, which pulled a string and fired the anti-aircraft gun just as he was flying overhead. It all checks out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this general type of tactic is called the Haversack ruse, which is often credited to a British officer who used it to help win a battle during World War One. He planted documents that detailed a fake battle plan inside a haversack, which is a type of backpack, and he let the bag fall into the hands of the Ottoman military. And this type of trick found its way into a relatively unknown book written by British author Basil Thompson. But it wasn't so unknown that aspiring novelist Ian Fleming missed it. Item number 28 of the Trout Memo actually gave credit to Basil Thompson and explained the idea. And the Allies actually used a version of the Haversack ruse multiple times before Operation Mincemeat. They kept doing it. This includes one time when German tanks were tricked into avoiding a fake location for an Allied minefield, but it led those tanks into a big area of quicksand. (laughs) Despite that clear example of the ruse, we used it again in Mincemeat because Nazis are imbeciles who get fooled by bugs bunny tricks, which is like Right. British counterattacks is just them throwing oversized X's under German troops so they get squished by anvils. <laughs> Still, they had to be psyched to die in quicksand, right? They just turned to their buddy, just like the movies, Fritz. It's just like the movie. We're going to the quicksand. Grab a vine. And there's no vines. We're just going to drown. One other example of the haversack ruse actually led to the mincemeat plan. In this case, it was a lucky zero level bluff that worked out meaning it wasn't a ruse at all but it seemed like a ruse to the germans in september of 1942 an allied plane crashed off the coast of spain killing everyone on board that included a courier who was carrying actual top secret documents his body was recovered by the spanish military and they returned the body to the british along with the documents which were determined to be unopened and using intercepted radio communication British intelligence was able to confirm that German intelligence had seen those documents, but had dismissed them as disinformation. It also confirmed that the Spanish military was full of Nazi sympathizers who were willing to pass along evidence to German spies. So given all that information, we decided to run the Haversack play again, and we did mincemeat. Wait, uh, they determined that the unopened documents were disinformation? And, and the Nazis conquered how much of Europe with this bang up team of crack intelligence officers? <laughs> <laughs> so and, and, so and dumb. how low must your opinion be of them if your response to them thinking a real crash and real plans were fake was to assume that they would think a fake crash with fake plans was real? It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Really low. And That's an Elmer Fudd level logic. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so a month after the lucky break with that plane crash, a British intelligence officer named Charles Chumley brought up the idea of using plan number 28 from the Trout Memo again. He immediately got yelled at for floating a dumb idea, but, you know, literal Nazis were taking over the world, so we were trying anything. Chumley's boss decided to give it a chance, and he assigned Chumley to work on it with another intelligence guy named Ewan Montague. So they started to work up a plan to help facilitate a surprise Allied invasion of Sicily, Winston Churchill had recently described Italy as Europe's soft underbelly, 
and he wanted to attack that key strategic hold over the Mediterranean. It might be a soft belly, but it's really, really hairy. Really hairy. <laughs> <laughs> and the Allies invade Sicily and are immediately overfed to death by a horde of Italian grandmothers insisting they look too thin. <laughs> and then everyone took a turn on Cecil's great-grandmother happily ever after. Oh, yeah. no. They did, too. What's they did. happening? Oh. They did. I thought it was a Heath choke. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well... I did especially enjoy one other quote from Churchill. I'll give it to you here. During the planning, he said, everyone but a bloody fool would know that we're going to go after Sicily. But meanwhile, Hitler was convinced that attacking Sicily was too obvious. <laughs> and therefore, an oh allied invasion oh my would more likely come through Greece and Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everyone but a bloody so, fool. Yeah. Everyone but a bloody fool. You got it. So there was a bunch of arguing about, you know, Hitler would want us to, to want him to want us to want him to want us to attack the whichever level I'm on. I got lost in the level. <laughs> We're doing Sicily is the plan. So Chumley and Montague tailored the plan to make Germany focus on Greece and divert forces away from Sicily. Okay. I also, I feel like Hitler fell for a lot of the, what's that on your shirt? Nose boops. Yeah. <laughs> right. One, one dude did it with shit on his finger and the world's most famous mustache was born. But <laughs> <laughs> is on your lip, mind fear. Oh, I'm not falling for that again, Steve. You got me once. Also, what is the smell? It's very, very go. So the overall plan to trick Hitler about Greece and Italy was called Operation Barkley. And it started with the formation of a fictional attack force called the 12th Army. To support that lie, the Allies set up a new headquarters in Cairo and staged military maneuvers in Syria using fake tanks that were actually just jeeps with like a big wooden tank shell over the top. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, some guys driving around weird tank shaped power wheels in the desert just look mom a soldier <laughs> they actually used a lot of volunteers from the salvation army it really worked out <laughs> and we actually did this again before normandy too uh -huh. so apparently the nazis never caught on to the uh wooden tank shell thing we also ramped up a bunch of false communication about that fake 12th army out of cairo and at the same time the Allied command post in Tunis intentionally slowed down communication since Tunis would be the headquarters for the actual invasion into Sicily. And then we went out of our way to fake hire a bunch of Greek interpreters and very publicly stockpile Greek maps and currency. So the next step was finding the right dead body to drop off the coast of Spain. Welcome to Eli's world, right? Thank you. <laughs> Obviously... There were plenty of dead bodies to choose from during the middle of a war, but all the details had to be just right in order for the deception to work. Chumley and Montague consulted with Bernard Spilsbury, a pathologist who actually gave them some good news. I'm sorry to interrupt the, the essay, Heath. It's just super mm -hmm. obvious these names are made up. <laughs> Chumley, <laughs> Montague, yeah. Bernard. Bernard Spilsbury explained that whatever Spanish pathologist might examine the body would likely be Catholic and therefore, he'd be averse to doing a full autopsy when the cause of death seemed clear. It would be obvious drowning. So it turns out that stupid religion stuff helped us trick Nazis. And that makes me happy. <laughs> because the autopsy is only a sin 
If the medical examiner is confused, <laughs> what? <laughs> Go figure what? Catholicism, though. Yeah. They just, they don't touch dead bodies at all for anything. It's weird. Only way so, a Salvation Army guy could do it is if you put it in that slot. If it fits in the slot, yeah. they'll be able to do that. <laughs> but if he doesn't, then. <laughs> so from there, Chumley and Montague got in touch with Bentley Purchase. Come on. So, he, do we have to okay. ring a bell? Is it a contest? Okay. <laughs> this, that, that one was uh, That was like Gareth Southgate. Yeah, it was very, very British. So Bentley Purchase, it's real, coroner for the Northern District of London, and they asked for his help in getting the actual body. And that's where they ran into a new problem. Bentley Purchase explained that he had plenty of bodies, but you can't just take them because families of dead soldiers don't like that. Mm-hmm. Eventually, mm-hmm. though, Purchase found the body of a Welsh guy named Glyndor Michael. Come on! Have any- <laughs> <laughs> the guy didn't have any known living relatives. Glyndor Michael had died by ingesting rat poison. What? But Dr. Purchase assured them this but wouldn't he wasn't get noticed <laughs> w- w- without a very thorough autopsy, which again, they had reason to believe was not going to happen. So they put Glyndor Michael's body in the fridge And that gave him three months to carry out the operation before there was too much decomposing. Just shove him in there next to last Saturday's potato salad and that open box of Arm and Hammer. Just get him right in there. (laughs) And don't forget to burp the container. If you don't burp it, it won't last. Right? Yeah. It's important. Did somebody take my Welsh corpse again? I wrote my name on it this time, Harry. God damn it. Damn it. So with the body acquired and the clock ticking, Chumley and Montague started figuring out all the details about the fake identity of the corpse they were going to make up. Yeah, because even the Nazis wouldn't believe in a guy named Glitter Michael or whatever the fuck you just made up. Glitter Michael. Okay, but the point being, it would all have to line up with any official records just in case German intelligence had moles inside the British military to check on it. For name and rank, they chose Captain Acting Major William Martin of the Royal Marines. The name was common enough that several men in the Royal Marines had the same name and approximate rank. From there, they constructed a backstory that would line up with all the random stuff they would plant on the body. In the world of espionage, they call this pocket litter. For William Martin, the pocket litter included a receipt for a diamond engagement ring, two letters from his invented fiance Pam, and a photo of Pam that was actually a photo of MI5 clerk, Gene Leslie. Uh, Gene, get in here. We have a weird request uh, for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what happened. The love letters were the final result of a long process of Montague and Gene Leslie writing letters to each other back and forth in character in what may or may not have been an actual romance. Either way, their letters were super shitty and not natural. And MI5 (laughs) head secretary, Hester Leggett, who is 75 years old or so at the time. She wrote the final versions because they were terrible. All right. Well, so the story called Mincemeat now has a corpse on ice and a budding romance. I'm getting worried about where this is going. So while I speak with Heath in the corner for a minute, we'll pause for a little apropos of nothing. Uh, Montague. Montague. Yes, sir. At my office right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, hey. Hey, Leslie. Hi. Montague, I, I want to talk to you about Operation Mince Meat. Yes, sir. Your, your, your pocket litter, the, the, the stuff mm-hmm. that you're putting on the body. You and Sergeant Leslie have been working on those love letters. Eh? 
Yes. So now, yes, co- we have. C- correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but in the last letter to you, uh, Sergeant Leslie wrote, I see no you, no me, there is only us, forever and mm. forever, my love. Right. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right oh, so, so mm-hmm. and, and then in reply, you wrote, right back at you. Right back at you, yeah, yeah. So, seriously. So, Sergeant Leslie, let me handle this. So, so, so you see how the tone of these two letters don't, um, don't precisely match? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Maybe this guy, he's less of a talker, more of an actions guy. That's what oh, I was thinking. Please. I would love to hear what he's done lately. What are you talking about? If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Look, son, wow. son, son, and this, if this project goes through, you'll save thousands of allied lives, perhaps tens of thousands. We, we, we need to know that your heart is in this thing. Yeah, huh? okay, fine, fine. I'll write better fake Love letters. No, Got it. no, no. It's too late for that. Uh, Leslie and I have been working on replacements for yours, but 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 I expect you here first thing in the morning at roll call for a dramatic reading of the letters in the dead guy's pocket. Yes, yes, and I expect genuine feeling. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Are you crying? I'm a person, you, and I have feelings. Uh, there, there, Leslie. Chin up, stiff up a lip. What the fuck is happening? left off the brits were about to win the second world war with a weekend at bernie's style ruse <laughs> yeah uh, so, so what happened next Heath? okay the next step was fabricating the naval id card for william martin which had to include a photograph they started by trying to dress up the actual corpse and somehow keep a normal smile what? in place while they took a picture <laughs> but yeah, that was fucking stupid, so it didn't work. <laughs> They'd be about to take a picture, and then, you know, his head would move, or he'd continue looking like a dead body with a dead fucking face, <laughs> and yeah, they'd have to put yeah. the corpse back in the fridge for a while and try again. After trying this for way too long, somebody finally pointed out that if they looked hard enough, they might just be able to find another white guy somewhere in London, someone <laughs> ideally alive and close enough in appearance. Yeah. So, so eventually the entire British government caught up with the average American 19 year old trying to buy beer. That's great. That's good. <laughs> but only after one of them was ha- ha- holding the guy's head up and trying to make it smile from behind. <laughs> with its finger. Can you see my fingers from back there? Okay, you can. <laughs> Maybe if I reach in from in the anus and we'll just kind of get the fingers up. That's to- always no your solution. Ewan. Every time he looks like Liza Minnelli. This is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) So they did that. They find a real person and they they got a uniform and all that was left was the underwear for the corpse. What? The problem was underwear was in short supply because of war rationing. So nobody wanted to give any away. (laughs) But they finally got a pair of nice woolen underwear from the recently deceased Herbert Fisher, the former warden of New College, Oxford. Can't send your spy off without a briefing. Bri- <laughs> briefing. <laughs> briefing. Brief, nice. That's a big problem, too, in the uh, Boxer Rebellion. Okay. Oh. I guess uh, going commando like? wasn't a military term is. until after the war. <laughs> okay, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a pun, but England has weird donor cards, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now it's time to create the fake secret documents with the misleading intel. 
Montague and Chumley spent a bunch of time drafting a fake letter from a general named Archibald Nye to another general. But they kept getting a final product that didn't sound natural. Then someone on the team realized they could just have the actual General Nye write a goddamn letter. Oh, there you so go. they, they took his draft and added some disinformation details, including an extra clumsy pun about sardines, hoping the Germans would interpret that as a badly veiled reference to an invasion of Sardinia, another spot that could take German forces away from Sicily. And as a finishing touch, they put one single black eyelash inside the sealed letter as a way of checking if the Germans or the Spanish had opened it, yeah, if they and, got it back. Yeah, and if a bunch of hairs were in there, they'd know the Italians had opened it. So, <laughs> perfect crime. So they had all the fake stuff ready to go, and now it was time to plant everything on the body. But they wanted to make sure the fake secret intel got noticed and didn't wash away out of the pockets. They also worried that the Catholic thing about tampering with corpses might prevent a pocket check. So they decided to use a briefcase to carry the really important stuff. The original plan was to have the briefcase clutched in the dead body's hand. Um, fortunately, someone pointed out how that's fucking stupid. And they instead went with what, what, what one of those they gave him a treat he would hold on tight. Like, yeah, I don't know. They thought like rigor mortis might hold it. But somebody was like, no, that's dumb. That's dumb. We're doing something else. They went with one of those chains like a jewelry courier might use to handcuff a case of diamonds to themselves. I see. They did that. Yeah, so maybe he would have sewed his hand together on the way to... No, you know what? Never mind. Can we, can we, can we make it glow a little? Put an icon above it? Or is that just in video games? That's just in video games. Okay, I just... I, I, just, I, don't, I have to check. I don't know until I ask. You know, I, I, I will say... I get the ruse, though, because if tomorrow I found a dead guy with a briefcase tethered to his fucking wrist... I'd have that thing open and rooted through long before I called it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, sure. right? <laughs> okay, so now it's time to actually drop off the body. They decided on a submarine as the vehicle, and they needed a way to preserve the corpse during the transport. So they went to a guy named Charles Fraser Smith at the <laughs> Ministry of Supply. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that one wasn't so bad, though. That was it's Charles. Is Chuck other Smith. Yeah, no. That's what Dude, Chuck, Chucky Smith. At the Ministry of Supply, they told him to build a container that could hold a dead body and keep it fresh, but also look natural on a submarine so as not to alert anyone who didn't need to know the secret plan. And fun fact, Fraser Smith turned out to be the inspiration for the character Q in the James Bond novels. So real-life Q came up with a fake torpedo full of dry ice. As the dry ice sublimated, it filled the canister with CO2, which would preserve the body without any additional huh. cooling. Oh, that's hey, smart. Hey, Captain, why does this torpedo have a briefcase handcuffed to it? Is there <laughs> a reason? <laughs> Normal. Doesn't fit in the yeah. shoot thing. It's not. <laughs> Hands down, please. Okay. Hands down. No more questions. <laughs> so they load up the fake torpedo with the body and the briefcase, and now they have to get it to a submarine base in Scotland as quickly as possible. Of course, what that means is race car driver. Fuck yeah. They hire Sinjin Horsefall. Come on! I know, I know. I knew that one was, yeah. I saw it coming. Yep. Soften yep. me up Sinjin, with Frazier, whatever his name is. Yep, his name's actually Sinjin Horsefall. He's a driver for Aston Martin, and he shows up with his very own heavily modified speed van. Like, not street legal. He was ready to go. And he gets the torpedo to Scotland in record time. Record time. 
Was there a prior record for driving <laughs> dry ice corpse torpedoes to Scotland? <laughs> okay, but so it, like I'd be least of all the places that could be too. Scotland is the one that would surprise me the least, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you can set a first record. We used to have race car drivers speeding our fake dead guy torpedoes and souped up cars, and now we found out our president's a traitor because his lawyer pocket dialed the newspapers. <laughs> <Dumb>. <laughs> It's dumb now. It's all dumb. So now it's April 19th of 1943, and the submarine headed out toward the coast of Spain. On April 30th, 11 days later, they stop about a mile from the town of Huelva, where they know a particular German spy is located who has connections with the local Spanish military officials. The officers on the submarine tell everyone to look the other way and make a bunch of noise while they pull a dead body out of a fake torpedo and <laughs> drop it into the water. And then they head back away from the coast to get rid of the canister. At first, they shoot it with a machine gun, so it would just sink to the bottom. But there's a bunch of air trapped in the insulation, so that doesn't work. Eventually, they rig it with plastic explosives and just blow it up. <laughs> None of that was part of the plan, and the commander of the submarine never mentioned any of that until 1991. <laughs> he didn't want to admit that like, they couldn't just sink the thing. Well, right, so they, they didn't want to admit that they had accounted for every contingency except minutes continuing to happen after the drop-off, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So the body gets recovered by a fisherman that morning and he reports it to the local Spanish authorities. And we found out later that almost immediately the German spy Adolf Klaus got word of the body as well. Three days after that initial recovery, the body was handed over to British Vice Consul F.K. Hazelden. The Spanish authorities also mentioned a briefcase that they had somewhere somewhere else, but they would definitely give it back right away after they dried it off all nice for the British. So Hazelden hired a local pathologist, Eduardo del Torno, who was indeed Catholic, to do a post-mortem. This is all for show as part of the ruse. Del Torno quickly declared the cause of death to be drowning and decided against a more comprehensive autopsy, especially considering that fake William Martin was wearing a silver crucifix and he had a St. Christopher plaque in his wallet and he had dog tags that were marked RC for Roman Catholic. And he was wearing a prayer mommy t-shirt too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so as the postmortem exam is happening, Montague and Chumley are sending a series of pre-scripted communication cables to Hazelden on purpose as part of the ruse. British intelligence knew the cables were being intercepted by the Germans and they knew Germany had broken this particular version of encryption. So the messages were telling Hazelden, okay, man, you have to get that briefcase before any German spies get to see it. It would be terrible if they saw it first. And be cool about it so the Spanish won't know the level of importance either, just so they don't give it to the German spies. This is real. I hope no Germans are reading this. Stop. If you are German, <laughs> please disregard. Stop. <laughs> I think we're alone now. Stop. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anyone around. Stop. Okay, Tiffany, go ahead with the secret plan. <laughs> okay, so this right here is where it gets extra ridiculous. I was waiting for this story to turn weird. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, it really becomes like, like Three's Company with like ridiculous shenanigans here. The Spanish military started bouncing the briefcase around to different offices, and the German spies never quite managed to get their hands on it, even though we wanted them to. <clears throat> so 
Chumley and Montague had to keep sending extra cables being like, okay, now it's in Madrid, the briefcase. <laughs> so definitely don't let any German spies go up to a man named Diego, a German sympathizer that we know about on the 14th floor of the consulate. That's 14th because Diego will give it to them super easy. P.S. Diego likes cocaine and meth and can be easily bribed. <laughs> But then it finally, finally works out. On May 8th, Spanish authorities find a way to pull the documents out of the envelope without breaking the seal, and they take photographs of the documents, and somebody leaks that intel to a German spy. Then they put the documents back into the envelope with the telltale eyelash missing, <gasps> very crucially, and they give it all back to the British. Yeah, the eyelash is gone, but it's replaced by some belly lint and like three pubic hairs. So <laughs> same weight. It's a power move. Power move. It's <laughs> a good power move. So upon receiving the briefcase, the British had a forensics team examine the paper. In addition to noting that missing eyelash, they also tested the fibers of the paper and it showed multiple folding beyond their original folding. So they knew the letter was opened and probably read. From there... Chumley and Montague sent another cable to Hazleton. Again, they know it's being intercepted. It says, okay, don't worry. We checked the envelope at the seal. It's fully intact. We sure did get lucky that nobody from Germany got to look inside. Phew, that was a close one. <laughs> and then we got further confirmation that the plan had worked when British signals intelligence intercepted a message from a German spy to the Nazi high command that warned of a definite plan for an allied invasion in Greece, not Sicily. I like how we use the term forensic analysis of the paper fibers instead of just, it looks like they folded that again, right? Like they totally, oh, yeah. totally, yeah, they folded <laughs> it again. Well, yeah, because our freaking spy movies have programmed us to think otherwise, but every real espionage story we ever hear ends up like hinging on, well, everybody's a fucking idiot, though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You just got to be slightly less dumb than Nazis yep. to beat Nazis. And, you know, that's great. That's great. So in response to a successful Operation Mincemeat, Hitler moved a whole bunch of reinforcements away from other areas to protect against the fake invasion of Greece that he thought was real. This includes a large force that was otherwise fighting against Russia on that front, which may have turned the tide in the battle against Russia over there. And then we invaded Sicily and we murdered the fuck out of some Nazis. The British were expecting about 10,000 allies killed or wounded in the first week of fighting. But we only suffered about one-seventh of that. Wow. The Navy was expecting to lose about 300 ships, but it turned out to be 12. Jesus. And the prediction for the duration of the whole campaign was about 90 days, but the allies took Sicily in 38. Overall, allied forces had about 23,000 casualties. That's bad, but Axis forces had about 165,000. Wow. And less than a year later was D-Day. So big momentum shift thanks to a fake letter in a briefcase tied to a corpse and Nazis being imbeciles. Okay, still though, it's got to be a little weird to be one of those sailors or soldiers and hear like the generals be like, whoa, yeah, we thought way more of you guys were going to die. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and one last thing, and this might be my favorite part. Even after the invasion of Sicily was completed, Operation Mincemeat continued helping the cause by making the Germans ignore genuine documents they found later. <laughs> For example, two days after D-Day, Germans found a landing craft in Normandy 
with actual top secret intel about several upcoming targets for the Allies. But Hitler was like, nope, no, fool me once, and I'm a Nazi or whatever it is. I forget what the saying is, but I'm not getting fooled again. So he didn't use that intel. And then the same thing happened again about a month later, and the German forces this time did the exact opposite of the correct strategy in response to, again, genuine secret information about the Allies' actual (laughs) battle plan. So I love this. Basically, the entire war, Hitler had exactly the right amount of paranoia to be wrong by one level on the bluffing all the time. (laughs) And each time right after that, he'd switch and then lose another battle. And he'd be like, fuck, I have to get this right. Eventually (laughs) just statistically, I have to eventually be on the right level of bluffing, but he pretty much never was. And then he died sadly in a fucking bunker or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Sadly, but yeah, (laughs) not sadly. Weird way to oh, answer us. No, he was <laughs> sad. I'm saying he oh, was sad. Okay, yeah, he was sad. sad. Okay. All right, that's Jesus cool. Christ. Uh-huh. That makes a difference. <laughs> so just a weird turn of phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had to summarize what you've learned in one sentence, what would it be? Yeah, okay. You can kill a Nazi now or wait till you get home. It works either way. You just do it however you want. Any Bugs Bunny trick works. Are you ready for the quiz? Let's do it. All right, Heath. What should the movie about Operation Mincemeat be called? <laughs> A. Okay. Now you not see me. <laughs> B. Ocean. Did you use that one before? I think I might have to. Oceans. <laughs> one. One. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good. I see. See. Yeah. Weekend at Bernice. Bernice? I don't get Why that Bernice? One. Weekend at Bernice. Weekend? Weekend, weekend, weekend I guess. Yeah, weekend. 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 Which is like the sauce. Sauce? From, from, but that's from Bern. I think it's from Switzerland. Who actually. else has sauce? Italy. But this story's not in France. So. <laughs> it, well, <laughs> so even guys, really quick before we go to the next question, what else was wrong with Eli's thing? The last one. <laughs> I don't think we have enough time, Heath. Let's just go on. Let's just move on. Yeah. It's a thirty-minute okay, podcast. No, 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 we'll just go to the next one. Yeah. Tom, all right. Did you have a question for me? Yes, I do. Yeah. In fact, the Nazis were defeated by an organized disinformation campaign. What did the Nazis learn from this defeat? A to be more careful sending signals. B, to encode their telegrams. <laughs> C, to meet in the parlor. <laughs> or D, to obscure the truth. Excellent. E, all of the above. They learned all that. It is E. It is E. You probably figured that out because you smelled the musk of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly believe this shit, Heath. Speaking of which, which is the best poop-based spy movie? Okay. Fantastic. A, Stinker Taylor Soldier Spy. (laughs) B, The Turd Man. C, Amazing. Mission Impassable. Or D, (laughs) Anima at the Gates. (laughs) That's so hard to pick. uh, I love Anima at the Gates, um, but no, okay. I think you're trying to trick me. Uh-huh. Attractive distractor. A, 
Stinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. It, you know what? It's Anna at the Gates. Anna at the Gates. Oh, oh you were oh, so oh, close. Oh, I was there. You and then there. I switched. Like, so, yep. Just like yep. Hitler. Stupid. Terrible at well, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> it was sad. It was sad. It was that sad for me. Was, it was sad for, for Nazis A that he died, loss. but it was happy mm-hmm. for everybody mm-hmm. else to be clear again about that thing earlier. Oh, it's a good thing I don't have to say that Heath won right now because that would be very <laughs> hard to do. But I'm going to say, when I know that Cecil is this Sadly, week's Cecil won. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to pick Tom. Yay. I don't like right. Nazis. Well, for Cecil, Tom, Eli, and Eve, I'm Noah. Thank you for hanging out with us today. <laughs> we'll be back next week. And by then, Tom will be an expert on something else. Between now and then, you can hear more from Eli and Tom on Dear Old Dads, more from Cecil and Tom on the Cognitive Dissonance Podcast, and more from Heath, Eli, and myself on Scathing Atheist, the Skeptocrat, God Awful Movies, and D&D Minus. And if you'd like to help keep this show going, you can make a per episode donation at patreon.com slash citation product or leave us a five-star review everywhere you can. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, check out past episodes, connect with us on social media, or check the show notes, be sure to check out Citation. Okay, and you're sure this is all for the assignment? You heard the commander. It's vital for the mission. It's vital for you and I to go apple picking. And have brunch with my parents. Allied lives are on the line, Montague. (sighs) Fine, fine. We'll go apple picking. And have brunch with my parents? And have brunch with your parents. Yay! If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.